Take your trip set, check your heading north, light heading at 074, check your altimeter set, 2946, correct the center point elevation, 0 feet. Check your barrel running 0, check your SS 1230, 3034, check your field, check your seat off, lights out. In the air and on air, here he is, the renegade aviator, David Costa. Oh, oh, up in the wind on, two soldiers, five. We on the airfield and airspace, you are clear. In the air and on air, the Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and welcome to the Renegade Aviator Show, a show about my passion, my addiction, my choice, and we promote aviation. But this show has a higher purpose, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> a higher purpose. Oh, my God, it sounds like uh, some lofty goal here. But let me climb down off my high horse a second and just kind of go through why we do this, because chances are, if you're listening right now, you're an aviation fan or maybe even an aviation nut. So on this show, we talk about flying. Sure, we do. We talk about people who are flying and we talk to people who are excellent at what they do and have excellent and entertaining stories. But the goal really on the Renegade Aviator Show is to inspire through our guests and through their stories with this show. Our jet air show performances and the performances here are really about entertainment, sure, but we're here to not only entertain, but to do something different. So when we go out and fly a jet air show, we are demonstrating our excellence by allowing you to come watch us. When you go to an aviation event, when you go to an air show, you look up and you see excellence demonstrated. But there's something else that we're doing here at the Renegade Aviator, and that is worldrecordjet.com. So what is worldrecordjet.com? Well, it's our way to give back to you. It's your opportunity to get involved and to be a part of something that people say, I always wanted to do X. So when we started the Renegade Aviator Show, the whole thought was that people would call in and have all these aviation goals, and I would pick up the phone and help people achieve those goals. And you know what? That wasn't the best way to do it. So we thought, how can we be of service back? And we are of service back by worldrecordjet.com. It's your chance to get involved in the jet operations of an air show. It's your chance to get involved in Get this, a world record. I made the website so easy. Even a guy like Dave Costa, the renegade aviator, can figure it out. So all you need to do, no sales pitch here, go to worldrecordjet.com, click the link that says get involved or contact us or join our mailing list and do that. And if you really feel grateful, you can even donate by going all the way down to the bottom of the first page and looking at our GoFundMe page. Anyway... We'll get into that at the end of the show. But what I want to do right now is I want to introduce a very special guest. He's a friend of mine. 
and somebody that's actually helping out with his expertise on worldrecordjet.com. But Pat O'Brien, who's my guest today, has a very interesting story. And it's a journey. And the reason I wanted Pat on the show today, because number one, he's done some really cool stuff. And we love that. I think you're going to like hearing that. But the second reason is his path is not all that much different than everybody else, except for one thing. He refused to quit. He refused to give up. And he's doing some cool stuff right now and has some new things on the horizon. Pat O'Brien, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Hey, David, how are you? Good to hear from you. Right on, man. Hey, well, so Pat, you wrote an article that really got my attention. I think it kind of touched a button for me. Give us a little bit of an understanding of kind of not really reading what you said in the article, but your background and how this all started. Sure. It goes back quite a ways. And, you know, I've listened to some of your shows and, uh, your guests all have excellence and inspiration that they come up with in, in different aspects, but they've all had some start. And uh, I was good in math and science, and I loved to fly as a kid. And a uh, counselor in high school said, oh, you want to be an aeronautical engineer? And I said, oh, that's great. Yeah, okay. And so I went away to Ohio State and uh, became an aeronautical engineer, but I really wanted to fly. So I took all the tests for Air Force ROTC and uh, was going to get a four-year scholarship until the medical came. And uh, I had a bad back as a kid, and it continued. And so as soon as they heard that, it was like, uh-uh, we don't want you. <laughs> so you're faced with, uh-oh, my dream, my goal to fly is kind of obstacle in its path. And uh, what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, like a lot of your guests, uh, you've faced with obstacles, it's what can we do to make something of that obstacle? And uh, so I decided I would uh, get my degree. And I also got my pilot's license along the way. I worked three jobs one summer so that I could earn enough money to be able to get my pilot's license while I was going to Ohio State for aeronautical engineering degree. And then I went to work between my junior and senior year at North American Rockwell in Columbus, Ohio which was where the T2 Buckeye and the F-86 Sabres were made. And uh, I got an opportunity to work on a Navy XFV-12A V-Stall fighter and uh, never really made it to flight status. They had a whirly rig there, which is a little demonstration operation that they use, but the uh, engine power was never enough to make it work. But, but I worked in pretty much structures. And I decided after that that, you know, hey, that was really good, but It'd be boring as hell <laughs> to go through and work in structures. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go work in flight test. Well, like a lot of people will tell you, oh, you can't do that. You know, you've got to go work for some companies for a few years. And, you know, you, you've got to earn your opportunity to be in flight test. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to try though. And uh, so I did. And I interviewed quite a few different places. And I got two opportunities in flight tests right out of college. One was Boeing, and the other was the Navy at Patuxent River Naval Air Station, which was the Naval Air Test Center at the time. And when I went to interview there, they said, hey, if you come to work here, you're going to get to fly in the Navy jets. <laughs> and that's all I needed to hear. And so I was gone. <laughs> that's a great fringe benefit, isn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. And it was kind of one of those perfect place at the perfect time. So I went there and I was in carrier suitability. So we did all the catapult launch, arrested landing, 
tests uh, for the Navy aircraft. And at the time in the mid-70s, the F-14 was uh, just coming to the fleet, and we were doing a lot of testing on that. And I was the goose. I was the backseat guy because it was inertial nav system, and they needed somebody to align the inertial nav. And so I learned how to do that. So I got to fly in F-14s, the backseat, quite a bit. And uh, along the way, I also got to fly in A6s, A7s, F4s, C2s, S3, you know, a whole bunch of different things that uh, was really a treat. And, you know, so I didn't get to get in the Air Force, but I did get to fly some military jets. And so that was really my entree to get me into the aviation business. That's where I want to jump in on this, because you were a young man at the time. And at the time when I was in the military, when I found out that I couldn't fly fighter jets, I was given a backseat opportunity and I declined it because my ego got in the way. So going back to I'm sure it was a hit to the ego, right? You want to be an Air Force pilot. You want to fly fighter jets. You want to do something. But you did something different. You refused to quit and you looked for a different way through. Or was it luck? Sometimes we're lucky, but we don't realize that we kept making decisions. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you. You made a decision to stay focused where I flew off into oblivion for a while. I would say focused. It was part of it luck, but uh, I just uh, always am a person that likes opportunities. I went to Ohio State. A lot of people told me, oh, how can you go to Ohio State? That's such a large school. It was like 50, 60,000 students. You, I'd get lost. I wouldn't know what to do. And I always looked at it as, well, it's an opportunity to meet a lot more people. And so I have always taken opportunities like that. And uh decision to go work for the Navy at Pax River was the best decision that I ever made. I mean, I had some great experiences. The, the folks were some of the most smartest, talented people that I've ever met in my life. Partied hard. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them, to make a test pilot in the Navy, you're probably in the top 2 or 3% of all the Navy flyers. And a lot of these guys that I work with went on to become astronauts. And Hoot Gibson, you know, was at Pax River at the same time that I was there. He was in flying qualities and I was in carry suitability. But uh, even today, I mean, a few years ago, I wanted to go back to Tailhook and I hadn't been in a long time. And Kurt say Dozo was an F-14 pilot. And uh, yeah, he said, you know, come on. And, you know, Camille couldn't make it. So you can just stay with me. And, you know, it was like one of these last minute decisions. And uh, it was great, but it was like I had never left. And it, it was 30 years ago. So I think it was just a great group of people. I happened to be the rookie at the time. So they made incessant fun of me. <laughs> and you had to be able to take that if, if uh, you wanted to be part of the group. But uh, as a civilian to fly on all those aircraft and fly on and off the carriers, was a, a fantastic thing. And I made a visit to Pax River last summer, just having a beer with the uh, coach was the guy that was running uh, CVS. And he said, uh, yeah, what did you do? You flew all those planes? He says, yeah, nobody gets to do that anymore. <laughs> so it was just one opportunity at a time. And I think you've talked about it a number of times in your podcast. Uh, sometimes just being in the right place, you do a lot of hard work, you work to get into a position to take advantage of those opportunities that come and go. So I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm going, if you're a naval aviator and you go through a two-year training program and towards the end of that program, you go to the boat. But here you are, a young guy, right? And you had to have just been tingling all over, walking up to one of these jet fighters 
And how cool is that, right? I don't know if people understand how cool that actually is, but we all dream of this, to walk up to a jet and you go from basically private pilot to hopping in the back of an F-14 and getting shot off the boat. What was that first cat shot like? It was kind of anticlimactic, actually, because it really, you know, you're a little over three Gs on a cat shot. So it's really not all that stressful. A lot of people think it is. And of course, you're not flying. So you're sitting there and the arrested landings were the same. It was just a, I enjoyed so much the time on the carriers. It was just such a fun time. And so we were out there for 10 days to two weeks at a time on the different trips for different projects. And uh, it was always just a a thrill. And uh, I was uh, treated as an equal. We were part of the group that would set up the launch and recovery bulletins for the carriers and different airplanes and do a whole bunch of different testing, all related to the catapults, arrested landing and the automatic carrier landing system at the time. So pretty neat stuff. Well, that's the cool, the fun, right? Flying all these jets and then life brings us different changes, right? So you had some changes from there. You took a path somewhat similar which is something I recommend people going into the sales side, sales and marketing, which some people overlook as a career in aviation, but you continue to career in aviation through a sales and marketing kind of helped bring you to where you are today. Is that a fair assessment? It is. And while I was at Pax River and I was there a little more than five, six years, I uh, got my master's degree in management. It was a night school course and, and took that. I aspired to do something beyond what I was doing. And really the opportunities to do that within the Navy at Pax River were pretty limited. So I did that to see if I could expand my horizon. And I wanted to get into sales and marketing. When you are an engineer, even if you have a management degree, people look at you and say, sales and marketing? No, I don't think so. You know, you don't have any experience, so we're not going to let you do that. So I said, okay, well, and I found a company that sold avionics in Columbus, Ohio. So I ended up back in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I got a sales job because they needed somebody who uh, could fly the airplanes. They have to have a commercial license instrument ticket, which I had gotten when I was at Pax River as well. I continued to pass my private. So I did, and I I flew for a couple of years uh, for those folks. And it was great experience. I flew all over the country to sell RNAV systems. Which nobody listening right now, except for those of us that are in our age range, nobody else knows what RNAV is anymore. I remember when I had my first RNAV unit in the aircraft, I thought I was in an airliner. I had RNAV, for God's sakes. <laughs> Just electronically move those VORs. Yep. Right. <laughs> so ADFs and RNAVs, there's a lot of people that are under the age of 40 going, what? What are they? What was that? <laughs> It brings up something. So I'm listening to you here. And again, success leaves these traces. So I'm hearing, well, I was at school. I was working three jobs. I got an opportunity. I took it. I I ended up at Pax River. I'm flying on and off of the decks of carriers and cool airplanes, man, living life, living large. But I'm still going for a master's degree. I'm still getting my pilot licenses. You continued to make decisions. And I'm sure the government just paid for all this. And it was a free ride because it was owed to you, correct? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) 
Well, the master's degree was paid for, but uh, yeah, my instrument ticket and commercial was all you know out of my pocket. So I continued to do that and was more than happy to do that. So, so your article talks about how you were saved by the Reno Air Races. I'm kind of taking a jump ahead a little bit further, but I want to kind of expand that out because that's what kind of hit home to me is we talk to so many people at air shows and they come up and you hear should have, could have, would have, I used to fly, but oh, you know, I mean, life happens, right? We all get it. I mean, it's really easy to say, well, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a fighter pilot. Then I want to fly to the moon. And then I'm going to become an airline pilot and make $350,000 a year and have my third wife and retire and be rich. It doesn't really work that way. So you had a process that you went through and then a saving event. And if I was wondering if you could explain that for people who haven't read the article. Sure. I was selling uh, the equipment and I had first child, first of two daughters was uh, going to be born. And uh, the job was pretty much all travel and no future do anything different to grow in management, which is what I expected. And so I just answered an ad in the paper. And everybody says you never get a job by answering an ad in the paper. But I answered an ad in the paper and it was a place that was half a mile down the road from where I was working in, in Worthington, Ohio. And uh, it happened to be GE Super Braces, which is industrial diamond. And uh, they didn't hire anybody in sales or marketing unless they had either an engineering degree or uh, some type of scientific degree, because it was a very technical sell. And so I left aviation and went to work for GE. And I was with GE for 10 years. It was a wonderful company, traveled all over the world, had tremendous opportunity, a lot of great people. Then I left and uh, started my own business. And I stayed in that field, Industrial Diamond. I started a company to manage trade associations. And I did that for 25 years. And along the way, one of the gentlemen that was a past president of the Concrete Sawing and Drilling Association was a guy by the name of Ken Barnes out of uh, Hayward, California. And he knew that I had flown before. So he would always, when he'd see me, he'd say, hey, Pat, you know, we got this group from Hayward that comes to Reno, and uh, I know you used to fly, and, you know, come with us. And I always thought, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And, you know, so one year went by, and then he kind of was persistent. So I went, and I kind of thought that, okay, this will be a one-time visit. I'll do this and make Ken happy, and then I'll leave. But the uh, evolution that happened uh, was just amazing, because I went there, and it was like, oh, I remember what aviation was like, and I really miss this. <laughs> so I went that year, and then I went back the next year and the next year. And uh, after a few years, Ken said, well, Pat, you're really liking this. you got to start flying again. And I go, oh, Ken, you know, 25 years I haven't flown. I'm not going to start flying. And for some reason, I came back and I called a local Bonanza salesman in Tampa, and I acted like I was ready to buy an airplane. <laughs> which is pretty comical because it was the farthest thing in, at that point. But I think he just wanted to go fly. And so he took me up and I told him that I hadn't flown. And he said, oh, you did pretty good. You should think about it. So I ended up going to a local flight school and uh, went in. And I just said, hey, I'm here. I haven't flown in a long time. I'd like to fly. And so this guy, uh, instructor that I'm still friends with today, I see pretty much every day, he took me up on about three trips and uh he said, okay, you're good. And I said, what do you mean I'm good? He said, well, you know how to fly. 
<laughs> he said, just go have the, the guys hook up the power to the G1000. And that was another issue is, do I go to back to steam gauges or do I stay with the G1000? And so that was how I got back into flying. You made a choice because you had to, right? You had a family that you had to support and you chose that path, but it sounds like you really didn't fret over, oh my God, I'm walking away from aviation for now. But I think I see pain in people's faces. I really do. And it's when they walk up at an air show and you can tell that they still have the bug, the passion. But what they don't realize is that there's opportunity left. So you mentioned 25 years. Hey, I was away from flying for 25 years. My dad was in the same boat. I had walked away from aviation for a while. And you don't realize what you miss until you see it again and you taste it again. I have a lot of younger people on this show as well. And they're going, wow, 25 years. I mean, that's a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's what I heard in your article. And that's what I want people to hear of any age. The opportunities come and go. You choose those. But there's the opportunity to come back. But it's a decision. And it's never too late, right? It's never too late to get back into aviation until it is too late. So my gosh, when you have the opportunity, take it, I guess, is where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was interesting this past year, I went over to the Stoll Drag Competition area and uh, they had a great setup there with a little bar and a tent. And I was with a friend of mine and we got a couple of beers and we were just sitting down and I uh, sat across from a guy from Idaho. And, uh, you know, we just started talking to him and, oh yeah, he loves aviation. And he said, yeah, I always wanted to fly, but you know, I never kind of did it. And I'm probably too old now. And he said he was 60. And so I told him my story and I said, you know, I think you ought to give it a shot. Go try it. You're not going to be a 20 year old, uh, excellent pilot, but you can do something if you want to do it, if you want to make that call and make the attempt. So I don't know. I hope that he would have taken advantage of that. But yeah, I think that you can do anything you want to do if you want to do it more serious enough and you want to make the effort and do it. And uh, I think one of the things that when I started back into flying, I could have just said, oh yeah, okay, I'm flying and go for the $100 hamburger and fly here, fly there. And it's just not in my nature to just say, I'm just going to do that. So I decided uh, if I was going to start flying again that, well, I wanted to do something every year to make me a better pilot. I went and got my multi-engine rating one year. I went and got tailwheel endorsement the next year. I went and took a week-long course with Patty Wagstaff for aerobatics following year. And then I went and got my seaplane rating. So I've continued to do a bunch of different things that hopefully make me a better pilot. And I know not to be boastful or anything, but I know those things that I've done make my flying in the Columbia 400 that I fly for transportation so much better because I've done those things, particularly the tailwheel and the aerobatics. So, And it's fun. When I watch what you're doing out there, you're going out and you're simply enjoying aviation. So how many airline pilots have you and I talked to that grumble and grouse about, oh, it's just a job, right? You made a mention back when we were 20, we could have been better pilots. But here's the difference. When I was 20 years old, I believed I was the best pilot in the world because that's called 20-year-old ego. 
I was the world's greatest aviator when I had 1500 hours. <laughs> now with 15,000 plus, I realize I've got a lot to learn because there's guys that we've met that have 30,000, 40,000 hours and us guys with 15,000 hours are considered babies. So yeah. <laughs> it's all, but you're having fun and that's the key, right? That's with aviation. What I noticed about you is you'll go out, you'll do different things and it's uncomfortable, right? Is it uncomfortable to go and get a tailwheel endorsement when you haven't flown a tailwheel? Oh, yeah. Any of this stuff, times you think, oh, damn, why did I want to do this? Why wasn't I just happy to be flying along and not worry about trying to make myself a better pilot? But uh, before I started flying, I was living in Park City and uh, I had uh, an opportunity that I was hiking with somebody and they told about, yeah, somebody gave this uh, charity ride and it was a ride in the airplane and in exchange for a donation to a charity. And uh, it happened to be uh, Pete Saganino, which you know. Yeah. And so I called Pete up and, and the guy didn't like the ride because uh, he was starting to get sick and all that. And I thought, well, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's on my 60th birthday. I went and rode with Pete in his L39 and you know just loved it. And that just kind of springboarded whatever I had done into further advancement to think about doing other things. And I've flown in a bunch of L39 since then. And so it's just a, a great opportunity. So I'm really uh, blessed, but yeah, you just got to have fun. And uh, I retired from the company that I started uh, at the end of last year. And uh, I probably could have worked another five years, but I wanted to have fun, as you have noticed in aviation and just do things. And uh that was keeping me from doing that because it's like, well, no, I can't do that because I've got a meeting or I've got a board meeting to go to or whatever. And it was a great opportunity, a great ride with those people. And But I just decided, I don't know how many years you have left to fly and have a good time and do things. And so I uh, just decided, okay, I'm going to sell that business and give myself opportunities to uh, do things in aviation and go out and have fun and make those things happen. And yeah, you get a lot of people that say, oh, you're so lucky that, uh, you know, this happened or da, da, da. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's lucky. I will agree with that. But it also is anybody can do that. You encourage people to do that all the time on your show. And I listen, anybody can do this. You just got to go out and do it. And uh, so many people are so held back by thinking, oh, I can't do this and I'm not going to do it. And so then they kind of sit around. And I remember <laughs> the hairdresser story from like, Jody or whenever, <laughs> one of the ones. So that's just the way it is. You just got to make it happen and go out and do it. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's not a defined path, but uh, it's fun along the ride and make that journey fun. Well, it is. And it brings me back into the business side, because this is something I'll tell people a lot. And you're evidence of this. And a lot of us are in aviation starting and owning and operating your own business, taking charge of your own life. So we all can't be the airline pilot. We all can't do what we thought we could do at 20. And and that may not be a problem. Where I'm looking at this is people have gifts, people have opportunities, people have responsibilities, and anybody can start their own business. And there is a lot of business owners and former business owners. As you know, aircraft are not $10,000. <laughs> aircraft require constant feeding and care. So people go, well, I'm never going to be rich. You don't need to be rich, but you do need to show excellence somewhere. And that might be, I use my donut shop opportunity. If you've got the best donut shop in town, you're making some good money. So I always tell people, be excellent, do something of value, 
An entrepreneur has to give back, has to provide value back, and it doesn't need to be in aviation, but it sure helps you get there if that's what you love to do. You did it through your end. I did it through the medical industry. And I say, man, people don't overlook what's right in front of you. You got to go out there and make stuff happen, even if that means you're not Tom Cruise on Top Gun. You got pretty darn close sitting in Goose's seat. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's just a lot of opportunity out there and you got to make the connections, make uh, the introductions to different people. And uh, there are a lot of people out there that are willing to help along the way. I know in starting my own business and getting back into aviation, there were so many people that are willing to help and uh, they're just looking for that opportunity to help. And that kind of brings me around to what I'm doing now and uh, why I've contacted you about the STEM and the world records. I've had a good life and my super rich, no, but uh, I've been able to do a lot of things. But one of the things that would give me a lot of pleasure is to help some young people realize their dream. And so if there's some way for me to do that, I'd love to have that opportunity to pass along whatever I might have, whether it's uh, knowledge or some financial assistance or whatever, to help somebody to achieve their goals. So it gets them on the path that they can have a, a great life in aviation in particular. And it's appreciated. And it's another reason, you know, when we were talking, I said, man, I got to get you on the show because you embody, I think, a lot of people. And I think we don't realize sometimes as individuals, we say maybe we're not making a big enough impact. Maybe I'm not that person who's inspiring, but you are. So when I read your article, how many other people picked that article up and said, I'm going to do something different I'm going to change. I'm going to go after that goal. And I tell people, you are who you hang with. So that person that says, I want to be in aviation, it doesn't require anything but your decision to hang with other people that love what you do. And if, in fact, you're a plumbing contractor and you happen to be at the airport and you're running a business, what do you want to bet that somebody that's having breakfast with you buying uh lousy, greasy eggs with hash browns that we shouldn't be eating, maybe the very person that might be able to help you in your own business. I don't know. It's just amazing who you find at airports. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of good people. Right on. You already mentioned that nobody's turned you away from airports, right? I mean, you don't walk into an airport and nobody said, well, I'm Patty Wagstaff. You can't fly aerobatics with me, right? But you got to fly with Patty Wagstaff. Pretty cool. What did you have to do? Pick up the phone and call, make an appointment, right? (laughs) Right, right. A lot of things that I've done during my career in life is I just pick up the phone and call or email them and uh, all we can say is no. (laughs) And then you just try someplace else. People say I'm not the kind of person who can pick up that phone. I'm afraid and hear this a lot. And I talk to a lot of the younger generation now and it's been an issue where they'd rather not talk to somebody. And I guess what anybody listening to this to hear is, Nobody is upset that you ask a question. Nobody is upset that you ask for help. Nobody is upset that you want to be part of what they're doing. Give it a shot. They can say yes or no. You don't control somebody else's actions, but you do have full control over your own. And being told no is not a rejection of you as a human being. It's just no, it's not right for me. But uh, the more people you talk to, for as many people that'll tell you no, man, there's people out there that are ready to tell you yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on, man. So what's next for Pat O'Brien? What's next on the horizon? You mentioned a couple of things. You got a beautiful RV8 now. So I see you out there flying formation. What's next on your goal list? One of the things that, and the reason that I got the RV8 is that uh, I had an interest in 
formation flying. And I also had an interest in doing some basic aerobatics. And uh, I kind of researched different planes and I thought, well, the RV-8 was probably a good start to be able to do both of those. And I happened to run into a, a group of uh, RV uh, pilots out of the Venice airport. And so they fly every week. So I've gone down and flown with them even before I had my RV-8. And uh, now that I have it, I continue to fly with them. And uh, boy, you talk about making yourself a better pilot. Formation flying is pretty challenging. And at times you think, damn, I'm not going to make this. And But you just keep at it. And eventually some of the stuff uh, starts to make sense. And so I've done that. I've done a little bit of aerobatics on that, but I'd like to do some uh, you know, sportsmen uh, for the ISC competitions and, and just look at that. And my goal was that I'd do both of those and then see what I wanted to do for the future. But uh, one of the things that I also set as a goal for myself is I'd love to go through pylon racing school at Reno. And so when I first made the decision to go with the RV-8, that was a competitive airplane, but it's becoming less competitive. So if I really want to do sport class uh, at Reno, probably going to have to look at uh, a legacy or, or something else. But uh, I bought the RV-8 uh, with the intent of... Uh, learning to become a better pilot and have some formation skills. And uh, that's working. And I got a lot of work to go, but that's the path that I chosen. And I'm pretty happy with it to date. So that's what I want people to listen to what he just said. Pat just said, that is the path that I've chosen. Ladies and gentlemen, we are where we are by our decisions. You can't control what other people do. You can't control what life does to us or despite what we wanted. But you can continue to simply decide. So when Pat first contacted me, first I was thrilled, right? I was like, my God, you know, somebody looked at what we're doing and said, this is interesting. I'd like to learn more. Pat, I know you've got some certain goals and things. So when you state your goals and you tell somebody, hey, this is a goal of mine, I scratch my head and go, how can I make that happen? How can we help you with that. And that's where it just gets fun, right? We don't have all the answers going in. Certainly, Pat knows me well enough to know I don't have all the answers, even though I host the Renegade Aviator Show. <laughs> but when somebody comes forward and says, man, Dave, I would love to do these types of things. The fun in life is saying, how can we help each other? If we all just did that in aviation or in anything we do, if we all just said, man, I, I hear you, I hear what you want to do. How can we make this happen? Imagine how much less screwed up we would be in America today. Instead of worry about what's in it for you, try to help somebody achieve what they want. You win in that way, right? You're going to get what you need if you believe that, hey, I'm on a path and people are going to be attracted and get involved or not. People are going to be able to help or not in whatever way they can. But at the same token, you better darn well be thinking, how can I help that person that came to me achieve something? Because the end of the day, when we're all 90 years old and still flying, that's when you can sit back and look at a life well lived. I don't know. Am I off base? No. And I think there's certain things that mean a lot to you to kind of reinforce that you did the right thing along the way. And yeah, I can have my goals and my decisions of what direction I want to go. And that's great. But I always, uh, and I started with the association management company that I had, we started international association. And, you know, we used to meet around the world and 
at one point I had this guy from Czech Republic and Evo and Evo kept writing me, asking about all kinds of different things to set up an association in the Czech Republic and all kinds of different business related stuff. And I just uh, like helping people if they come and ask for help. And so I was more than happy to do that. Well, a year later or whatever, we had a meeting in uh, Tyrol and uh, we had two or three days and we had a final dinner and And after that dinner and everybody's sitting around having a drink and he says, oh, I want to talk to you. And so he got his translator over and he said, you know, I want to thank you for all the help that you've provided. And I said, oh, you know, that's fine. I'm more than happy to do that. He says, no, no, you don't understand. And I said, well, Evo, what don't I understand? And he said, I grew up in the Czech Republic, which was run by the USSR. And he said, from the day we were born, we were told where we were going to go to school what we were going to become, where we were going to work, where we were going to live. And he said, then one day they say, poof, you're an entrepreneur. You can do anything you want. And he says, we don't know how to do that. You in the U.S. grow up all thinking that the goal is to start your own business. We never had those thoughts. And so to get from where he was to start to run his own business took a lot of effort. And so I continued to help him and he's continued to be a friend over many years. But those kind of things really make you feel good about humanity and helping other people. And I, and I think that that's really a key. And, you know, I've met his wife and his kids and been to his house. And, you know, it's just that really makes you feel good about life and, and that we're achieving something that together we can make a lot better than what it was us all operating individually. Yeah, I agree 100%. There's great individuals out there. Focus on the great people that are willing to make decisions, take responsibility, and just have fun. It doesn't need to be that hard, people. And and I hope that's what you heard out of Pat O'Brien today, because it really is. You don't need to have a puffed up ego. You don't need to run around telling everybody how great you are. What you need to do is simply go out, stand tall, make decisions, show up, and do what you can. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. But boy, I could tell you from my own personal life, I've sure made it that way. So I'm learning as well. I'm a work in progress. By the time I'm 90, I might figure it out. <laughs> we all have uh, different uh, things that are important to us and different ways of achieving what we want. And uh, when I did the association management, I used to run these strategic planning sessions. And one of the things that I would always emphasize at the beginning of those is that when we start throwing out all these brainstorming ideas, that there are no bad ideas because sometimes that crazy off the wall idea makes somebody else think about something in a different way. And that leads to kind of revolutionary decision or a, a achievement that you would have never got if everybody just kind of marched along in the path that they were supposed to. And so, you know, for me, I can have an idea that, yeah, I want to get into formation. I might want to do pylon racing school, might want to do aerobatics. And so I look at every opportunity to talk with people and just find out, hey, okay, what did you do? How did you do it? What do you think about that? And just talk those things through. And I think in that process, you know, you expose yourself a little bit, but they expose themselves in terms of what their fears are or their pluses. But you meet a lot of great people that want to help 
and especially in aviation. And so I couldn't be happier to be back in aviation and just hanging out with some great people and even the renegade aviator. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Thank you for that. But I'm called the renegade aviator because I've always been the guy that's pushed, that's argued, that's complained, that's always fought and yelled. So now I spend my time with great people like yourself, people that are smarter than me and people that exude excellence. And you know what? I'm grateful for it. So Pat, you know, once again, for the help you're giving us with World Record Jet Renegade Aviator, for the help you'll probably continue to do with us, get you out there at our air shows. These are the types of people we like to hang with, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to hang with people like Pat and I, get in touch. But Pat, your article inspired me. I was so glad to see it. And I'm grateful that you made a decision to spend some time with me today. So thank you. Well, I thank you very much, Dave. It's a pleasure uh, being with you and I learned something all the time from you and from all the other folks in aviation, and it's just a fun journey, and I look forward to continuing the journey. Right on, sir. Pat O'Brien, ladies and gentlemen, for the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Pilots are cool. That's why I listen to David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. So stay right there. We'll be right back. I want to take out from the right at Delta Quick Five One Two Thousand to conclude the loop approved on approach push five. Thunderbirds in front of You know, when I asked Pat to be a guest on my show this week, he said, you know, Dave, you've had some pretty impressive aviation people on your show. And there was a question about, would he measure up? And this is a statement. It's actually a defining statement of all that we do here on the Renegade Aviator Show. The statement is that you can do it, that your story is interesting that you are as successful, as powerful, as capable as you choose to be, as you believe you are. Do you think that after listening to me, that the renegade aviator is judgmental? Do you judge other people? Do you think that other people judge you? (laughs) In a perfect world, my friends, the answer would be no. In the world that we live in today, you better damn well believe that that happens. So what? So what? We know what we're supposed to do. We know when we're on track, and we know when we're off track. All of you have a story to tell. Pat told his story. All of us have a purpose. All of us have opportunity. Choose well, my friends. If you want to join my crew, Renegade AV, the number 8R, RenegadeAviator.com. If you want to be a part of what we're doing with the air shows and the world records, RenegadeAV8R.com. Call my office, give a testimonial, tell me your story, 888-366-5256, in the air and on air. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya!